Hey, thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV, your source for all things Americana and Roots music. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Hey folks, I'm Sam Shansky. Thanks for checking out our podcasts. Our guest this hour is one of the founding members of the Grammy award-winning band, The Steel Drivers, Tammy Rogers. She's an extremely gifted multi-instrumentalist, singer, and songwriter who's worked for decades both as a touring and session musician, contributing to recordings by artists ranging from Jim Lauderdale to the Jayhawks. Tammy caught up with Diddy TV's Amy Wright on a video call as she's hunkered down at her home in Nashville, just up the road from here in Memphis. Let's listen in and see what they have to say, and I'll catch you again shortly. Hi, Tammy. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. And uh, you're you're hanging out in Nashville these days, like a lot of musicians? Yeah, Nashville is home base and, and has been for a long time. So, um, you know, crazy days, crazy times. We have been off the road now pretty much seven months. Um, we played our last tour date back in, I want to say it was March 7th or 8th. And we had planned, um, this is the Steel Drivers, of course, we had planned to um, take a two-week spring break, and um, and that spring break has just stretched out for months and months and months. Um, it's become a very long spring break. It has, you know, and um, here we are rolling into autumn, and I think we're going to get to do a couple shows in November that we're excited about. Um, but, yeah, who could have foreseen I remember doing um, an interview during that, that two-week kind of break, right when um, everything hit. I got a call um, from uh, an online, you know, blog kind of thing, and they were interviewing uh, bands, you know, and, and um, just kind of what we thought was going to happen and how this was affecting us. And I remember clearly saying... Oh, you know, our booking agent is on top of this. We're moving stuff, you know, right into June, July. <laughs> I mean, I, I really thought, you know, at the time that it would be just a two to three week, you know, kind of pause button. And, right. you know, we kind of, they'd figure it out. We'd, we'd get right back on the road in the summer. And man, I couldn't have been more wrong about it. But how could you know? Well, and you don't know. I remember exactly the last night that I went out and kind of did it up. I had a friend in town and another musician, and we were eating burgers at one in the morning at, at, at a place across the street, and um, that was it. <laughs> that was that was the last time that that we did that. So it's it's been definitely a strange year creatively. Have you been able to continue writing and 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 uh, practicing and doing all the the things that musicians do? Yeah, actually, um, I have been very, very fortunate that uh, my husband's a musician as well, and we have a home studio here. Um, and, you know, after kind of the initial shock of, oh my gosh, what's happening, you know, kind of wore off, and, and people started realizing um, we're just kind of home for however long, um, both of us started working um a good bit people emailing us tracks you know it's modern technology is amazing um, and I also was able to keep co-writing 
with a couple of my, you know, uh, most frequent favorite co-writers. So, um, I think as well as it could have been handled, you know, we've, we've done it. Um, or at least personally, you know, my husband and I, we've both been very fortunate to feel like we could, you know, keep certain aspects of our career going. Um, and, and obviously, um, the live factor has just been basically non-existent. And, um, I, I think, you know, for the steel drivers, it, it's been really difficult because there are five of us. And, and early on, you know, there, there was a limitation on how many people, you know, could be in a room together and, and these sorts of things. So I know a lot of solo artists were able to sit, you know, with their guitar and maybe do a live stream, you know, from their home or, or something small like that to reach out to their fans. But it's, it's been almost impossible for us to do that as a band. Um, we've tried you know, kind of through the months, you know, to send out little shout outs and little hellos, you know, through our um, social media outlets, but but nothing really, all of us together. So um, how does that affect how does that affect songwriting when you're trying to collaborate with technology? Is it does that kind of level the playing field or is it difficult? I to be honest, I don't enjoy it as much. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, unless somebody's figured out a way that we can both, you know, play and sing simultaneously, and I haven't heard that that's gotten worked out yet. Um, what I enjoy, or one of the aspects I enjoy the most about songwriting is that, oh, we're sitting here playing in a room together. I mean, I usually use my mandolin, even though I don't play mandolin with steel drivers. That's usually the primary instrument that I play when I'm writing songs because I can play rhythm and play melodies on it. Um, so I feel like I'm contributing a lot to, um, you know, the chord structure and the groove and the melody instrumentally, as well as, um, helping to shape, you know, melodic ideas, lyric ideas. And, you know, what I've found, you know, doing these, you know, Skype rights or Zoom rights or whatever platform we're using is only one of us can be doing something at a time. (laughs) So... Um, that kind of drives me crazy. Um, but again, it's better than no writing at all. And I think if I had sat at home and just said, no, I'm just not going to do this, I probably would have gone even more crazy than I have gone. So I'm thankful that it's worked. And I feel like I've written some good songs that way. It's just been a little, you know, you know, not maybe not quite as fun as it usually is. I find that during this time, having some sort of project or goal is really helpful. Just having something, I need to complete this, I need to get this done, and that's uh, that keeps my mind kind of moving and not focusing on the other things that I'm not doing. I can just focus on what I can do, and that's that's helpful. <laughs> yes. No, and I absolutely agree. You know, after the first, um, again, you know, two to four weeks, I guess we were just kind of in a tailspin as things kept canceling and canceling and moving, you know, but then I realized, you know, I can't lay around in my sweatpants for days on end because I just feel bad. So, you know, I, I kind of did that very thing. It's like I started getting up, getting my shower, you know, kind of getting dressed. I mean, maybe not dressed to the nines every day, but, but, you know, just trying to be as normal about my day as possible 
And it, it, it was an amazing thing because then I didn't walk by a mirror and go, ugh. <laughs> you know, it was like, okay, I look normal. You know, I've got something to do today. I've got this um, writing appointment or I've got a track to play on downstairs um, or I'm just going to go, you know, play and try to learn another, you know, a new fiddle tune or, or something, um, you know, whatever goal I set for myself that day. I, I, I think you're exactly right. It, it really has helped me get through and you know and are my days as full as they would be ordinarily probably not but um it's been enough to you know kind of keep me floating along in a pretty good place and I certainly I've missed you know being out touring a tremendous amount I mean this was set up 2020 was set up to be probably the biggest year ever for the steel drivers which when I think about that, it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking that we got five or six solid weeks of touring in February and March. Um, the new record had come out February 7th. And I mean, literally, we had been planning for this release for over a year between our booking agent, between our management, between the record label. And everybody had worked so incredibly hard just to have every single piece lined up, you know, perfectly. It was just, ah, it was going to be, it was just going to be amazing. Well, and this was, Bad For You was the first album y'all done in a while, right? So it was a big, five years, right? So that's a big release. And I know that it was critically acclaimed and it's an amazing album. Um, So I know that the first thing a band wants to do is to get out and tour and support that album. So yes, I, I can imagine that had to be, uh, sort of gut-wrenching <laughs> to then have all that come to a halt. So a uh, quick question for you. I'm going to start, go back just a ways. You grew up in Texas, right? Yes. And did you grow up playing bluegrass music or what were you listening to or playing when you were a kid? Was it classical music or something else? Or Well, um, my parents were both self-taught musicians and my earliest memories, um, I was originally born in East Tennessee, so they, they are from that part of the world. Um, I remember them singing, you know, old Porter Wagner and Dolly Parton duets. Um, so those are my earliest memories from the time I was, you know, three, four, five years old. Um, and then my dad decided um, to move us out to Texas when I was five. So we were out there um, for about 15 years. So uh, fortunately, we lived in a suburb just um, to the west of Dallas, and that school district started a string orchestra program. So my dad signed me up, um, and I was not interested in the least. I remember clearly saying, I don't want to play any old fiddle. Um, but he took me to the music store. They originally said, we, you know, put her on viola, and um, I guess they needed some viola students, but they didn't have one in my size, so I got the violin anyway. And I came home, got the little Muller Rush instruction book, and opened up that case and picked it up and just fell in love. And it has been my passion for many, 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 many years now. Um, so I grew up in a musical home, playing in school, playing classical music in school, but then 
after about three or four months, once I, you know, kind of had the ee, 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 you know, kind of under control a little bit, my dad knew just enough that he showed me my first few fiddle tunes. So it was an amazing yeah. way to grow up because as soon as I would learn a tune, he would get his guitar and back me up. Um, and by the time I was 11, believe it or not, he had started a family band, so I was on stage. Um, and um, played all over Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, um, Oklahoma, Missouri, you know, really kind of that five, six state area out there, playing bluegrass festivals. Um, from the time I was 12, 13, we would play, you know, early festivals starting probably in April and all through the season through the end of October. Um, and even though we weren't professional, my, my dad always kept his full-time job. We would leave, you know, on a Friday night and stay gone and come back Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening. And um, I look back now and it was like, what an amazing way to grow up. Because I got this, this great technical um, education, you know, by playing classical music in school and actually won a classical violin scholarship and paid my way through college doing that, playing classical music, but learning and being in a family band and all that stuff being by ear um, and jamming and improvising and all the stuff that you do. Um, you know, uh, many, many hours a week. So, um, and being on stage, having that, that opportunity to just play and play and play and stand up on stage and play and play and play for, for years. So, um, it was, it was an amazing way to grow up. What was the name of your family band? It was TJ Rogers and the Pickin' Times. Oh, that's a great name for a band. <laughs> It was fun. It was a lot of fun. And actually, um, for, for those folks that are bluegrass fans, um, at the time when I was 12, we had this fellow named Scott Vestal that joined the band. And he's gone on. He just won the IBMA uh, Banjo Player of the Year Award. He went on to play with Doyle Lawson and then um, Sam Bush for many years. Um, just an amazing banjo player. His brother Curtis Vestal was in the band for quite a few years. There was also a, a young fellow from down around Houston named Russell Moore, who's gone on and done very, very well for himself, that played with us for a good bit. Um, Greg and Brad Davis, that have, you know, two brothers that that uh, got a chance to play with a, a bunch. Um, Billy Joe Foster, who went on to, to play with Ricky Skaggs and Bill Monroe. Um, Craig Fletcher, who, who toured with, you know, Joe Diffie and Lori Morgan. And, you know, there was just a really great... Um, you know, kind of in that area and that time period group of us in our teens, really, um, just that we were so serious about the music and, and playing at such a high level. It was really an, an awesome, awesome experience. And, and to grow up around those, those guys and really, you know, um, I mean, it, there, it was you, you, you either, you know, I wasn't going to be just a girl player. It's like, if I can't play as good as the guys, I don't, I don't want to do this. Um, so it was a great, great challenge to me. And, and also, I should, should mention, during that time, there was a guy from Memphis playing banjo named Richard Bailey. And I met Richard probably when I was, I don't know, 14, 15. So we go way back. <laughs> <laughs> 
you and I are about the same age. So I, mm-hmm. I sometimes I, I think, did my life pass that fast? I can't be passing that fast. Um, but do you did you feel like bluegrass was a more of a family environment and a supportive environment from a mu- musical standpoint? You know, when you're young and you're learning, you're going to make mistakes. But was it very supportive? Yes, very. And and I think it still tends to be that way. You know, um, th- there aren't really any age barriers in particularly in in bluegrass music. They they really you know revere their their elders and always have. Um, you know, I remember uh, again. I'm showing my age here, but um, we went to a bluegrass festival just as spectators when I was really young and Jerry Douglas was playing with this band called Boone Creek, which had Ricky Skaggs in it. And, um, seldom seen was on the bill that day as well. And Mike Aldridge, who was one of Jerry's earliest influences was in that band. And I remember seeing Jerry walk out front and stand there and just watch Mike play, you know? So, and obviously interested and, and, you know, he was one of his early idols, so um, heroes. Um, so I think it's always been that way and continues to be that way. And, and tons of, you know, brothers, sisters, you know, mothers, fathers in, in bands. And um, it's definitely a, a family kind of atmosphere and vibe for sure. Back to the steel drivers for a second. Uh, one of the things that uh, you guys do so well is you're bluegrass, but you really reach across other genres of music and incorporate that sound into your sound. And then what the result is something very unique, I think, which is why you've been recognized for Grammy nominations and and award. And um, was that a natural evolution of the uh, backgrounds from the band members or was it intentional or how, how did that come about? Um, I think it it was a natural thing, Um, very organic. Um, By the time we all got together, I had played country music for 15 years at that point. (laughs) Um, Had done a lot of Americana stuff. So had, you know, Mike Henderson, you know, is an amazing blues guitarist. So he has that whole side to his personality. Uh, Mike Fleming, the bass player, had been out, you know, doing country gigs you know, Richard had played a lot of different styles of music in Nashville. And, you know, Chris Stapleton at the time, um, you know, was still pretty young and just kind of getting going. But he had, you know, listened to a lot of rock music, a lot of soul music, a lot of R&B. So, you know, the, the thing that was so great when we all got together is we all just brought all those influences in. And, you know, it's like nobody had any um, predisposition to, oh, well, it needs to be this, or it needs to be that, or we want it to sound like this. It's just, let's just play and everybody have their own voice and see what it sounds like. Did you know, did you know it was something special when you all got together in the beginning? Oh, absolutely. I mean, almost from day one. I I remember walking in and it was because Mike Henderson, the original mandolin player, he's no longer with the band, but um, he was the guy that knew all of us. He had been riding with Chris for a few years, and Henderson and I had been in the Dead Reckoners in the mid-90s together, so that's how we knew each other. And then he had been roommates with Mike Fleming in college, <laughs> and then he knew Richard Bailey from, um, I think, the Tennessee Mafia Jug Band or you know, Station in different things. 
Um, so he's the one that called us all together and just kind of casually said, hey, would you guys like to come over and, you know, jam, play a little bluegrass? It was a Sunday night. And, and I said, sure. You know, I haven't really played any bluegrass now in about, you know, 15 years. So this could be kind of interesting. And because I was out with Reba McIntyre at the time. And uh, I walk in and, and realize, oh, Richard, you know, I've known him since I was a kid, which was great to see him again. And um, I'd been hearing Stapleton's name around town as a songwriter, but I had never heard him sing. So the minute he opened his mouth, as you can imagine, it was like, wow. Okay. We've got something here. Yeah. Well, the crazy thing was I just kind of jumped in on harmony, and I would have never thought that my voice would have blended with his like it did. But it was just this kind of magical thing that, because I don't have that kind of rough, raspy sound. My voice is, you know, kind of more pure and, you know, kind of has that piercing top edge to it. But it just worked. And so... I remember after the first night we got together, Henderson called me up a day or so later and said, well, what did you think? And I was like, that was, that was really fun. That was kind of amazing. And he said, well, do you want to get together again? I'm like, yeah. And, and literally by the second or third time we all got together, they started pulling out all these original songs and, and they were so good. And it was just like, they sounded you know, so many of them sounded like old traditional songs. I was like, wow, is that an old Stanley Brothers song that I somehow had not heard before? And and then they were like, no, you know, we wrote that. And I was like, wow. So in addition to this incredible voice and, you know, the musicianship of everybody, there was this catalog of songs that was kind of already in place. It was, it was amazing. So, so how long before you went into the studio? Did you go into the studio pretty quickly or no you know we we kept doing this kind of getting together on Sunday nights for about six months and we would we would record kind of our practices just so we could go back and listen and you know keep learning the songs on our own um, since we weren't doing a bunch of standards um, and we would listen to those tapes and it's like wow this is this sounds pretty good you know um, so it was we didn't really go in the studio to record until two, almost three years later. Okay, so you were playing together for a while before you cut an album. Yeah, the first record, we got together, it was August of 2005. And the first record came out in January, I think it was January of 2008. And then boom, you're off to the races. <laughs> Um, yeah, we, um, we did a little live record just kind of on our own to have something to sell down at the station in, I want to say maybe that was in early 2007. So maybe a year and a half in, but we didn't even play a live show for six months. I mean, we just kind of knew, and, and I guess, cause we were all older, except for, for Chris, he was a good bit younger than the rest of us. We all knew, you know, if we go out and play just based on everybody that we all knew, there were going to be people that show up. So when we do go out and present this, we want it to be ready. Great. 
and write. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. We just kind of sat on it and made sure that we had the songs and the arrangements and, and the, you know, enough to go out and play two sets somewhere. Which, uh, for people who aren't musicians, is harder than it sounds to get two sets yeah. worth of music together that sounds really great and tight and all those things. It's, it's a lot of work. Every song's it's a lot, lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it just, um, uh, it, it was something that, that, I mean, we were enjoying ourselves and having fun, but at the same time, it, it was a lot of work. You know, when you're not just relying on, okay, one or two originals and then filling out the set with a bunch of songs that you've all played for 30 years or 20 years or whatever. Do you remember the first gig that you played together out together and, and yes. the response? It was, um, we went and played at a VFW in Franklin, Tennessee. How much fun is that? <laughs> well, it was really fun. And, and there weren't that many people there because it was, you know, kind of unannounced and only members of the VFW could get in. So it was kind of like a, a stand up and play over microphones, you know, rehearsal in front of people. Uh, I mean, there were maybe 20 people there, 20, 25 people there. And they loved it. You know, they enjoyed it. Um, but, it, you know, looking back, it was just kind of a, a sneaky way to get... Because there's also the thing of, you know, when you practice and you sit around in a big circle, it sounds one way, but then suddenly when you stand up in front of microphones and you can't stop if you make a mistake, you know, you just got to keep on barreling through or you don't play it again, you just got to keep on going. Um, that, that was really good for us. So bad for you, uh, you have a new lead singer, and I read that... You, your daughter found the lead singer. What happened there, and how did that happen? Well, you know, we, we knew that, that we had to find somebody. And, um, you know, it was one of those situations where, by that point, the, the band had gotten very popular. So we didn't necessarily want to just announce, hey, we're holding auditions. You know, we just figured that would be... A nightmare to try to wade through however many people would you know want to show up and 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 audition or play with us um, or send us videos or whatever um, so we were we were just trying to to cast the net ourselves without you know kind of stealth stealthily um, and and maybe find a few people that we could reach out to and say, hey, we really like what you do. Would you be interested in, you know, coming and singing with us and seeing what happens? Um, so my, my daughter was just scanning YouTube. And, 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 you know, thankfully, now there are a bunch of people singing Steel Driver songs on there and Chris Stapleton songs. So um, it was just kind of a matter of, scanning through a bunch of them and she did and found Kelvin's video and sent it to me and we were um, out on tour and I'm, I was riding in the car with with Brent and Richard and I pulled it up and said hey listen to this Delana just found this and Brent was immediately like whoa that guy has got something he's got just all those moves in his voice you know that are just effortless you know part of just part of the way he sings it didn't sound like he was just trying to copy anything um so again thank you modern technology 
Brent found his Facebook page and sent him a message. Was, was he shocked when you called him? Oh, yes. He was probably, is this real? <laughs> he was, um, at, at that point, newly married and um, was working as a chimney sweep. Just doing local right. gigs, you know, basically rock and roll gigs up in East Kentucky. And, you know, to have a national band, you know, call you up out of the blue or send you a message on Facebook and says, hey, we like what you do. Would you be interested in coming down and auditioning? I think he was just, I mean, I can't imagine what that would be like. <laughs> I mean, just. I can't either. I was, I was reading that and I was thinking, that's a Cinderella story right, yeah. right there. That's an amazing story for anybody. Um, and then to go right into making an album. Well, we, we waited a couple years. You know, we, we, it would have been great, you know, time-wise for the band to have been able to go in immediately. But it wasn't really fair to him since he, he had so much. I mean, imagine four albums worth of material to learn. And, and he hadn't really played in that type of band before. So it wasn't really fair to him to ask him to shoulder all that that quickly. So we really, you know, kind of pushed back our recordings at that time and just concentrated on our live shows. And for, I guess, about a year and a half, we were like, let's just, let's let him get settled, kind of find his way, and, and, and then we'll go in. And I think it was definitely, I mean, it, it, it prolonged, you know, the, the period of time between releases, unfortunately. But I think in the end, it was definitely the right thing to do. Because by the time we did go in the studio, he felt comfortable with us. We were more comfortable with him. Um, you know, again, that's a tall order to ask a young man who had never really been in a professional studio before. And all of us, we've been doing it for, you know, 25, 30 years plus. So the songs on the album are, uh, they're amazing tunes. And I noticed there was a lot of co-writing credits mm -hmm. and including some guest co-writers. And uh, what was what was that process like selecting those songs? Did did you have a wide swath of songs to choose from and you honed it down? Or uh, how did that process go? Well, when Gary you know, Nichols left the band, he and I had, had basically shared co-writing duties for Hammerdown and Muscle Shoals. Um, so it wasn't you know, really totally on one or the other of us to, to, to bring in all the songs, which was great. Um, but then, once he left the band, uh, most of the songwriting duties, you know, just kind of fell on my shoulders. But I had been writing, you know, kind of without stop for all those years, even when Gary was still in the band, just kind of in, you know, after Hammerdown, just, and, and after Muscle Shoals, in anticipation for the next record. You know, you kind of, I'm not the kind of writer that, just says, okay, um, we've released this record. I'm not going to write again until it's time to do another record. I'm just kind of constantly working on it and writing, and, you know, it's just part of what I like to do. So 
um, I had a huge, you know, kind of backlog of probably 50 or 60 songs that I had written in kind of that three-year period, I guess. And um, I know initially when, when Gary left, the guys were like, well, should we, you know, finally... We had never accepted any outside songs. They'd always been written by somebody in the band or co-written with somebody in the band. They said, should we look for outside songs? And I said, I don't think we have to. I really don't. I said, let me send you around the stuff that I've been writing and and let's just let's just keep our focus, at least initially. And then, you know, after I send you all this stuff, if you feel like we don't have enough stuff or or we are missing some things or whatever then we can go out and look for some songs. But let's let's at least... Basically, I was saying, give me a shot. And um, I started sending sending the stuff around, and and thankfully, they were so great. They were like, this is, this is awesome. These are great songs. Um, we're good. We don't... We don't... Let's... We can keep our course. So, it's like, thank you. <laughs> So when you put when you when you did the final selection, was it based on messaging or just the song itself or song itself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and and that I I was I was pretty adamant about them being involved in that, you know, because as I told them, it's like, look, I've written all these songs, I love all of them, they're all like my children, so. I want you guys to be involved and have the input on which ones we actually do. Now, there were some that I I was, you know, I might have said, really give this one a listen because I really think this one would work. You know, there are a few of those, but there were others that I just kind of said, just listen, see what you think, give me your feedback. And there were a couple that, you know, that I wish that they would have, you know, gravitated towards that they didn't but that's okay because then there were others that they went yeah this song right here we got to do this let's at least try it you know and I was like great let's do it so that way they were really invested in the project as well Um, and it was good for me to have the feedback from somebody that was kind of outside the writing process are there themes or topics that you keep coming back to in your songwriting that are uh, important to you? Um, well, I think, you know, obviously the steel drivers, you know, the material tends to be a little darker and edgier. Um, and that's kind of that, that you know, the mountain... Uh, murder ballad, if you will, kind of an influence of bluegrass, um, but also blues music too. You know, there, there's a lot of, you know, heartbreak and loss and those types of things in that style of music too. So those connections. Um, so definitely those types of, of themes. But, you know, again, the nice thing about this band is um, the guys are all great song lovers. So... For instance, when I played them Falling Man, which is about 9-11, and not what you would think of for a topic for a typical 
band, you know, bluegrass band, Americana band, whatever you want to call us, um, they heard it and they were like, oh my gosh, we've got to do that song. And I was like, yay! <laughs> you know, because again, it's just so different and so unique and, and to have a song like that um, just sets apart, sets us apart again from, you know, the average type of band. So I really appreciate that about them, that, um, you know, it's not, all the songs are not about, you know, drinking or, you know, heartbreak or whatever. You know, I, I did try to bring in a couple new themes, I guess, with this with this record. The imagery on that song, Falling Man, was for anybody who went through 9-11, um, it's indelible in your brain. You can't, you can't not think of that. So I was, uh, that song really resonated with me, um, having been through that myself. Um, where did y'all record the, the album? What studio? Um, at a place called The Butcher Shop, which um, is, or was, I think it may unfortunately have had to move. Um, it was Dave Ferguson's studio. Um, who was Cowboy Jack Clement's longtime uh, first-hand man, and he did a lot of the Johnny Cash recordings, and most recently um, Sturgill Simpson's records. And you know, we really we have tried with each record to do something you know slightly different, and and make that part of the journey too. Um, so it would have been easy to just say. Oh, we had great success with Muscle Shoals. You know, we went down to Alabama and recorded there. Let's do that again. But um, I didn't want—I didn't want it to feel like we were making a volume two. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and I think we all just kind of felt like, yeah, this this one needs to have its own space and its own, you know, thing. So um, that was probably the biggest reason that we chose to work with Dave and and record here in Nashville this time. And um, who engineered the album? Dave did some. Mainly, mm -hmm. he, Dave did more of the mixing, more the 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 actual at their you know at the sessions was a guy named Sean Sullivan, and he's been doing a lot of great work. I think he um, did the new Tyler Childers record, so so he's he's getting some really great credentials on his own as well. I know a lot of people don't realize how much an engineer brings to that process. It's it's a it's another member of the band. <laughs> well, they're, they're your they're your ears, you know, mm -hmm. and there has to be almost an inherent trust when you're in the studio, you know, while you're playing that they're on the other side of the glass listening and so that when you come back in, you know, you're happy with the sounds and happy with you know all that and and Sean was great to work with for sure. So one of the takeaways from this interview today is that you had 50 or 60 songs before you made the album, <laughs> and uh, only a handful of them can make the album, and you had even more time since then to do more writing. Are you guys uh, thinking of your next album at this point? Uh, honestly, no. Uh, I think we're kind of committed to almost, in a sense, relaunching uh, bad for you the, the label would like to do that next year probably in the spring um, if you know if we get to get out and start touring again um, 
and, I, and I'm glad that they feel strongly to do that because um, I, I just feel like that it hasn't had its due at all. Um, we released an early video um, for I Choose You, kind of a little animated thing, which was super cool. I loved it. Um, and that did really well. And now, you know, a, a new video for, for the song Innocent Man. Um, so we've been able to do, you know, some of those types of things. And certainly we've gotten a lot of spins on um, Americana Radio and, and Bluegrass Radio. And there's kind of this Grassicana chart that we've had a couple songs go number one for multiple weeks. And that's been great. But it's still not the same as actively getting out there and being able to promote the record. So I hope we get to do that, you know, and feel like we've completed the work before, you know, we really think about starting another one. So we'll see. I mean, it it, it may not get to happen quite as clearly as that. Um, so, you know, I hope that we don't look back in a few years and go, wow, that record was really kind of lost in that COVID vortex <laughs> or whatever, you know. Um, I hope it does get its due and, and get its um, time out there because I, I, I'm very proud of it. Well, it's an album that deserves all of that those accolades and it deserves an audience to see you play mm -hmm. play those songs live. Uh, so, um, so hopefully in 2021, we'll be seeing you on stage and uh, we would love at Diddy TV to have you guys down to Memphis and and have you in our studio for our concert series um, anytime. So um, hopefully next year brings a lot of really great things to you guys and to all musicians. Tammy, it's just been a pleasure talking to you today, and, and we appreciate the fact that you took the time. Absolutely. I'm... I've got a lot of it these days, so I'm more than happy to to talk music and talk songwriting and you know all all of all of those things that I love so much. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Tammy Rogers of the Steel Drivers. Be sure to listen to other Diddy TV podcasts for more from the leaders and legends in the Americana and Roots music scene. And don't forget to visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content, and to download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.